Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. We're singing about Jesus Christ. I wanted to share with you a couple of scriptures and then we'll, we'll go. We appreciate you being here this Easter. In Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7, it says, After the Sabbath on dawn on the first, at, on, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. We're talking about the morning that changed everything. Have you ever had a a life-changing morning? Maybe it's the first morning you woke up in boot camp. Was that life-changing? Maybe the first morning you brought that baby home from the hospital. Was that life-changing? You would never be able to sleep the same once you had that baby home from the hospital. It's life-changing. How about the first morning someone was raised from the dead? You you see, Mark 16, 6 says, don't be alarmed. He said, you're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. Jesus Christ's resurrection, what happened on that first Easter changes everything. And I want to just ask two questions about that. First of all, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? How do we know that? I I mean, we have the scriptural account, but there are three things that convince me at least, and let me just share them with with you. Number one, the tomb was empty. We know that. A careful historian by the name of Luke in Luke 24, 3 wrote this. They found, it says, the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ repeatedly said to the disciples, I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again after three days. He said it repeatedly. In Mark 8, 31, Jesus said this, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him and after three days he will rise. If I told you that I was going to be crucified, if I was going to be executed and I would come back after three days, you would lock me up. You'd put me in one of those funny jackets where the arms, you know, you, you don't get to get your hands out of the arms. That's what you would do to me, unless you had some power to prove it. How do we know he said it? Well, his enemies confirmed it. Uh, In Matthew 27, 63, the, the very people who took Jesus to the cross said this, We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I will rise again, so let's have a guard. Why else would there be a guard to guard a dead man? The only reason there was a guard there was because they were afraid somebody would come and steal the body, and then the the thing that Jesus had said, it would seem like it had come true. Some people would say, oh, the women went to the wrong tomb. Well, they were there the night before. Mark, uh, excuse me, Luke 23, 35 makes clear that the ladies went with Joseph of Arimathea. They went with him when he put the body in the tomb. It wasn't the wrong tomb. If, if it were the wrong tomb, all the officials had to do was to bring out the body and say, no, 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 you went to the wrong place. The tomb was empty. That's the first reason I believe it. The second thing is the disciples were transformed. At Jesus' arrest, do you remember what happened to all the disciples? They were fierce. They were fighters. They were warriors, right? No, Peter cut off one servant's ear. Jesus heals the ear back. But other than that, they all fled. When, G- when Peter comes into the courtyard where Jesus is being tried, 
a, a girl, it says she's not even 12 years old, 10 or 11-year-old girl comes up and says, hey, weren't you with Jesus, and what does Peter say? No, 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 I denied. Three times he denied it. It wasn't a Roman soldier. They didn't have a sword. It was a, it was a servant girl. The night after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, John chapter 20 gives us an insight. It says the followers were locked in a room for fear of the Jews. A week later when Jesus meets again with them and Thomas is there, they're still locked in this room. These people were terrified. They thought they were going to be next. They were going to be crucified right after Jesus. And then what happened? When Jesus arose and he had some time and he spent some time and they were sure that it was really Jesus, it transformed them. So so that on the day of Pentecost, on the very stairs of the place where they took Jesus, Acts 2, 24 says this, but God, Peter's speaking, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Peter, the one who wouldn't even stand up to a servant girl, Peter's the one who says, oh no, he rose from the dead. The disciples were transformed. The tomb was empty. Here's the third reason I believe it. The other witnesses are convincing. Paul wrote to this skeptical group of people in a, in a city called Corinth. Corinth was, in, uh, was a Greek city. They were skeptics. Uh, I was raised in Missouri. You know what the nickname for Missouri is? The show me state. You got, we got to see it or we don't believe it. You know, put your money where your mouth is. Show me. And that's the way Corinth was. And he writes to them. And look at what he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. For what I received, I pass on to you. Paul is speaking. Listen, I told you this. It's of, it's of first importance. It's a high priority. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then look at this. Look at the next line. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. Would have been easily disproved. The other witnesses are convincing. How do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? There's overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So what does it mean to me? So what? How can, I, how can that change my life? There's one more verse in Matthew 28, verse 8. It says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. They were terrified. They'd just seen an angel. They were terrified the tomb was empty, and yet something changed in their heart. Their belief in Jesus Christ at that moment changed because they believed, what if... Could it be true, just as, as, as Christina was playing the part of Mary today, just as she said it, if this is true, it changes everything. Two things that I get from this. Number one, believers in Jesus Christ don't have to fear death. Believers in Christ no longer have to fear death. Do you fear death? Uh, there was a man in 1973 wrote a book called The Denial of Death. His name is Ernest Becker. And this is one of the lines in this book, The Denial of Death. Death, the fear of it, haunts the human animal like nothing else. Did you all learn a little night-night prayer when you were growing up? My mom used to teach, me, teach us this prayer. I was one of six children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Really made for a nice night-night time. I pray the Lord my soul to take. There's a second verse that goes to that. 
I never learned it. I just I, I ran across it. Our days begin with trouble here. Our life is but a span. And cruel death is always near. So frail a thing is man. Night, night, honey. Have a good night, night's sleep. No wonder we're terrified of death. We're terrified of death. You, you say, well, that's not really true. Um, how do you cash in life insurance? You die. So why don't we call it death insurance? Did you know they actually tried that? You know how many people bought it? None. We don't want death insurance. We're afraid of death. Uh, another author has said this. The deceased are no longer called the deceased. They're now called a loved one. A graveyard is no longer called a graveyard. It's now called a cemetery, which is the Greek word for bedroom, sleeping place. Funeral parlors are no longer called funeral parlors. They're memorial chapels. And here's the most amazing thing that this author said. 75% of the people who go to view their, their loved one, their deceased, when they've made them up and put them in the casket, 75% of the people aren't happy with the way they look. They're dead. I'm more worried about the 25% who thought, wow, they look really good dead. They look better dead than alive. They should have died earlier. That looks really nice. Are we terrified of death? There's a company called Alcor Life Extension. You can get frozen at negative 320 degrees Fahrenheit. It's only about $50,000 for your head. The rest of you is more. Or, this is one I like, immortal genes. Now, that's not like blue genes. That's G-E-N-E-S. Immortal genes, they say for $50, they will put your DNA in a paperweight. On the bottom of the paperweight, it says, don't throw this away. This is your loved one. And if in the first 10,000 years they figure out how to clone you, then you have your DNA there. There's a money-back guarantee. Who's going to cash it in in 10,000 years? And if you do, what is it, buy a paperclip 50,000 years from now? Are we afraid of death? Ernest Becker, when he wrote The Denial of Death, won the Pulitzer Prize in 1974, just six months after he wrote the book. But that's not the, the most important thing that happened to Ernest Becker. In 1974, January 1st, he was diagnosed with cancer, and he died March 28, 1974. From January 1st to March 28th, Ernest Becker, who grew up in a Jewish home, didn't have a lot of belief in God, didn't have a lot of belief in anything. He was a, a, a philosopher. He began to study the claims of Jesus Christ. And in February of 1974, he wrote to a friend, the Christian is to believe in Jesus Christ, to live, to act, to consecrate his life, to increase the power and glory of the Eternal One today I have done so. His best friend, one of, his, one of the fellow journalists, asked if he could come and do a final uh, video with him. And Sam Keane, his friend, when he came in to do this video with this man who'd won the Pulitzer Prize, and he came and sat with him for the day, said before when I was with him, he would, he would worry about death and he would, and he would, and he would go over death. And, and he said that day when I met with Ernest Becker, Death was banished from his room. Something had transformed him. He was no longer afraid of death. When Ernest Becker died, he asked his family for one request. He said, whatever you do, when you go to the funeral, when you have my memorial service, I want only one verse. And this is the verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Ernest Becker 
made his livelihood studying death. And just before his own, he recognized that the only answer to death is Jesus Christ. Believers in Christ don't have to fear death. Number two, believers in Christ have new life. We have new life. It's a different life. We don't just want a longer life. I read a story. Uh, there, there was a, a church that went out. They were going to do a survey, and they were going door to door, and they were knocking on the doors of the people in their neighborhood, and they came to this door, and there was this young woman. She had twin, uh, twin one-year-old babies that were just toddling around. And when the person knocked on the door and opened the door, this young mom opened the door. She had oatmeal in her hair. She had spit up down her front. There were dirty diapers rolled up in the corner. And, this, and this, the survey went, are you interested in eternal life? And this young mom said, are you kidding me? I just want to get through today. We want the faults reversed. We want what is wrong made right. We want those things that we know could be better to be made better. John 10.10, Jesus made that promise. I have come, he said, in John 10.10, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Ernest Becker, one more time, he, he wrote another friend, we want redemption, nothing less, to be rid of our faults, of our feelings of nothingness. The person who lives in faith has given over the meaning of his life to his creator. That person... That person lives centered on Jesus Christ. Faith is a matter of grace, he wrote, an open hand to receive the gift of grace from the King of Kings. Let me close with this story. Kenneth Ulmer is a pastor in L.A., and he tells a story of of two men who went to an art museum, and they they walked into this art museum, and one of the men was an international chess master. He was a he was a master at, at playing the game. He had played in several tournaments, had won many, many times. He was highly decorated as a, as a chess player. And they walked into this art gallery and they saw this picture. And the title at the bottom of the picture was Checkmate. And there are two chess players playing, and one of them is a very kind and, and has a, a kind person. He has a smile on his face, but you can see that he's badly being beaten. He has only one chess piece left. It's the king. And the other man is grotesque, and it's like he's snarling, and and, and he looks almost satanic as he's there. And he has all of these other players still on his side, and it's called Checkmate. And the chess master was fascinated by this picture, and he told his friend, I want to stand here. Something doesn't seem right about this picture. You go on. And his friend went through the rest of the art gallery, came back almost an hour later, and he says, I need to know something. There's something wrong with this picture. Find the curator. Find, the, find the, muse- the person in charge of the museum. There's something that needs to be changed. They either need to change the title of this picture or change the picture. And his friend said, what's wrong with you? What do you mean? He says, I'm a chess master. It's wrong. The king still has one more move. There was a teenager named David. And he was facing a giant. He was so small, so young, so tiny, he couldn't even put on the armor of the king that was offered to him. And so he went out with a slingshot. And it looked like an eight-foot-tall man and a 17-year-old. There was no match. But David says the king still has one more move. There was a man named Daniel, and, and he was threatened if he didn't stop praying that he was going to be thrown in the, the lion's den. And Daniel that day decided that he would, would look at the king of kings And he went ahead and he allowed the men to throw him into the lion's den. And he went in there. Those hungry lions should have devoured him at the moment he hit the bottom. But the king still had one more move. 
There was a man named Moses, 80 years old, and he has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, and their back is to the Red Sea, and the, the Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the, world, in the world at that time, has them pinned in, and it looks like there's nowhere for them to go. But the king still had one more move. And there was a man named Jesus Christ who went to Jerusalem on Good Friday. And he was beaten and he was mocked. And he was taken and he was tried of sorts. And he was found guilty and he was beaten again. And he was put on the cross. And the nails went in his hands and the nails went in his feet. And the powers that be that day thought that they had it all done. Satan was rubbing his hands with glee. And they thought it was all over. And they threw him in the tomb just like every other man that's ever died. And they said, that's it, checkmate. But the king still had one more move. And he rose from the dead. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, for with the heart we believe that God raised him from the dead. And with the mouth confession is made. And you don't ever have to fear death. And you can have a completely different new life. Would you pray with me? I don't want to embarrass anybody here today. But this is too important for you to miss. It's Easter. And you need to decide if you believe in Jesus Christ or not. And if you say, I don't want to decide today, then you've already made your decision. So I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, and you can pray it silently where you are. I will not ask you to come to the front unless you particularly want to talk to someone. I will not embarrass you. But I'm going to pray this prayer, and you can pray it silently. Just pray something like this. Father, today I realize that Jesus Christ took my place on the cross. And today, Father, I realize that I don't need to join a church. I don't need to turn over a new leaf. I need the forgiveness, the grace, the free gift that Jesus provided on the cross. So today, Father, I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. Today, Father, I realize I'm not good enough to get into heaven. Today, Father, I want to tell you, I don't want to live this way anymore. Today, Father, I want to be part of your family. I want to be saved. Lord, you've heard the prayer of each person. And you know who's done this in their heart. And I just pray today, Father, for anyone who has made that prayer, who said that prayer, that you will speak to their heart, transform their life. Have them come talk to me or to anyone in this choir that sang this morning, Father, just to let us know so we can celebrate with them. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name.